Hello and welcome back to the Edge of the Box podcast, a podcast by whoscored.com in association with OddsChecker. I'm your host, Dan Bardell, joined by George Ellick and Jonathan Wilson to look through this week's Premier League weekend. And we're bringing back an old feature at the start of the show. I've got some trivia. If you don't get it straight away, we'll leave it and we'll, we'll head through the show. But bearing in mind that Vicario at the moment is probably the Premier League's best goalkeeper, Italian. Obviously, I oh, know Jonathan. Dis- Jonathan. Jonathan disagrees. Okay, let's set a four-one goalkeeper. He was good on Monday. He was good on Monday, even though he let in four. He was he was good on Monday. V- v- Vicario, obviously Italian. There are three other Italian goalkeepers that have played in the Premier League. Can you name them? Uh, Vito Manone. Yes, that was the hardest nice. one. You got that first. That's not a great start for me. But he played for Sunderland, so I know. Yeah, I knew you. I knew you'd easier. get it. My head's just full of Vita Manone and that performance at Manchester City in the, in, the, in the Great Escape season. Is that always the case or is that just on this show? Yeah, always. Yeah, yeah. Do you want a bit of time and we'll come back later on in the, later on the, the show? show. I mean, let everyone else scream at their phones. Let's look ahead to Bournemouth against Newcastle then. Eddie Howe returns to Bournemouth. I came up with a little, little idea at the start of the week. Hopefully you've both been informed of this idea. If you were to pick a top five Premier League managers, Jonathan... Would Eddie Howe feature in your top five? Uh, Guardiola Klopp, clearly. Yeah, that was my top two. Yeah. If it's purely on this season, you've got to say Postacoglu. No, no generally. Managers generally. You can look at the body of work over the years in the Premier League, let's say. Um, or anywhere else, in fact. Arteta, uh, probably. Thomas Frank. In the top uh, five? Yeah. Done a great job. Ben- to say Brentford from the Championship into the Premier Oh, because oh, it's all glitzy. It's all Europe. No, I'm just surprised. I think Thomas Frank's been absolutely brilliant. I don't see how anybody could have done that job better. I mean, I assume um, Dan's, Dan's number three is probably going to be Unai, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, okay. <laughs> look, well, just look um, at what he's won over the years and what he's done at Villa. That's that, that's why. Based on trophies, I've based yeah. on quite heavily on trophies, so I've, I've put him third. Well, if you're going on trophies, Eddie Howe's miles away because he hasn't won one. Yeah. Well, I said well, mainly. Not, not, not fully. I, I think you haven't drawn up parameters of this very well. I think Pochettino has to be in there. Like has to be. You can't you can't let recency bias cloud what he did both at Southampton, where you know he took over a side threat by relegation, had their, their top their highest ever points tally. Um and then went to Tottenham and turned a team perennial under underachievers, took them to the brink of the Premier League, took them to the, to the Champions League final. Like I know that PSG wasn't great and I know that things are obviously bad at Chelsea right now but that doesn't change what is a, an incredible body of work so I've got him fourth Arteta fifth I got Howe third even though I'd probably say that maybe as tacticians you'd have Pochettino you'd have Arteta and you'd probably have Emery above him I think in terms of, of what he's achieved where not only has he taken his Newcastle side and turned them into one of the best teams in the Premier League over a short space of time he also took over Bournemouth when they're about yeah. to get relegated into non-league and took into the Premier League like that is Probably the best, most transformative one club managerial reign in my lifetime, I would say. So you can't ignore if it wasn't for Eddie Howe, Bournemouth wouldn't even be in a position they're in or anywhere near it. They could be, you know, they could be like Chesterfield basically right now. So I think for, for that reason, he has to feature. Um, you know, he's, he's managed, if you, if you get rid of Burnley, he's managed two clubs. And so far, the, the upward curve for both of them has been so steep. It's not not even a curve, just a line. I'd, I'd, I'd agree with that. So I think we've got Pep and Klopp are locks, one and two. For, for everyone, obviously. Then I've got em- Emery third, Howe fourth, and Arteta fifth. That, that's what I've got. So I haven't put Poch in there, which is 
basically, I, it was it was it was a it was a throw up between him and Poch and Arteta. I went with the fact that Arteta has won an FA Cup. That seemed to be my deciding factor. If I couldn't choose between two two people, but I just think the job that Eddie Howe has done in the Premier League with Bournemouth and now with Newcastle, Jonathan, it really probably people thought Eddie Howe might be at the. Coming towards the the end of his cycle at, New, at Newcastle, the fact that they've qualified for, for for the Champions League, people are always saying, "Oh, they'll be looking to get someone bigger, and they'll be looking to get a, a bigger name manager, someone with with the European pedigree." But why? Because what he has done is absolutely staggering. I think. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think there's an assumption that new owners with lots of money want people who are glamorous, um, which is you know what we've seen in Birmingham, for instance. Um, and I think there was a sense that Howe was, okay, Premier League proven stopgap till they got in a position where they could attract a much bigger name. But that, that's the assumption you're making about people with loads of money. And Newcastle's owners, like City's owners, actually seem to be pretty restrained in what they can spend. Or, I mean, sorry, restrained in what they spend and pretty sensible in, in the people they bring in. So, uh yeah, Newcastle start of a the season. There was that little wobble where they did they have three draws in a row, I think. And you start to think, oh, I wonder if there's a bit of pressure. I wonder if this is the moment when they lacked. But they haven't. And you look at Newcastle now, and despite all the injuries, and the injury list is ludicrous. Uh, wow. They're still still going really well. So um, I don't think. I mean, yeah, the, the notion he come under pressure. I suppose if if they say they lose to Chelsea in the Carabao Cup quarter, say they go out of the cup in the third or fourth round, say they finish fourth in their Champions League group and suddenly lose three or four league games in a row in January, February, maybe there is pressure, but I don't think there's any sort of realistic prospect of that. So I would, yeah, you would say from now, it'd be a big surprise if he wasn't in position next summer. Uh, and then presumably there'd be another part of cash to spend and, and, and they start another phase of a cycle. Yeah, people almost like scoff at Newcastle are that they got loads of money that they've, they've spent loads of money but the fact they are in the Champions League with some of the players that they have in, in their squad George I mean Eddie Howe's improved players that have not really ever done anything for, for Newcastle and that, that's through the throughout the whole squad if you look at them and everyone that comes into that system then they know what they're doing he's almost just galvanized the, the whole city and the and the whole club Eddie Howe I was sitting there the other night watching the watching the Dortmund game and and okay they lost but I actually don't think he gets the credit at all for the fact that they're even playing in in the Champions League. Two years ago, you know, those players, a lot of them, were toiling under Steve Bruce. And, and, and yes, they've brought players in. But I think it's absolutely amazing that they're even playing in the Champions League. It's also worth pointing out that some of the players that they brought in have kind of been mocked to an extent. Like Anthony Gordon came in. Football yeah. Twitter was like, hold on, they're spending that much on him. Like, he's terrible. And look how, I mean, he's been a, a revelation for them this season. Also with Dan Byrne, you know, not necessarily a player that you'd anticipate a Champions League chasing side are going to go and bring in at age 30 as he was then. And he's been so reliable. So, yeah, and, and that's kind of what I was saying when speaking about <clears throat> ranking the managers is that when, you, you know, it's easy to focus on who's the most innovative tactician, who's the one who's kind of reinventing the game in the way that certainly Pep Guardiola has. And I think, you know, that there is an argument that Mikel Arteta is doing some stuff that is incredibly exciting on that on, on that side of things. And, and with Eddie Howe, yeah, I mean, Newcastle press incredibly effectively. They use the width very well, um, but it, it's more a case of player development. And I think that's often really overlooked when people judge managers and, and coaching staffs. You know, let's not 
forget Jason Tindall in this conversation. Uh, he wouldn't want us to, for sure. Um, but also, that you know, as, as a management group, as a coaching group, I can't really remember many um, occasions where it's just so clear to see each player's uh, individual performances improve to such an extent and, and how consistently, you know, they've been ravaged by injuries. And yet it doesn't really seem to matter who comes in, that they raise their game up, up to a new level, which you know, previously he, he's the one we often talk about. But like Jacob Murphy couldn't get yeah, into a really jump. poor Newcastle side. And suddenly he's now an incredibly reliable attacking performer for a team who are currently in the Champions League and look likely to finish there again this season. Like it is incredible. And I think if you're an owner of a football club, it's probably the most valuable thing that you can do that you can hire in a manager is getting someone in who's effectively going to polish a turd he's going to take players who hadn't had little to no value previously and turn them into not only effective players on the football pitch but players who you can actually probably recoup some money for if it came to selling them so yeah he's um it's 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 remarkable what he's able to do and it's also when you look at what happened at Bournemouth as well where the amount of players at Bournemouth who were incredibly consistent good performers for, for Eddie Howe once he left, they, they really toiled. Yeah, it's, it's 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 something that seems to be consistent with him and, and is incredibly valuable to what Newcastle are doing. Yeah, sorry about the advice when you were talking there. George, my microphone decided to disconnect. Yeah, it was, so pulling it was also exactly when I said the word turd as well. So I thought that was why. <laughs> no, no, no. Well, you can say, you can say turd as much as you like on this. On this podcast. <laughs> I, mean, I, 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 do, I do think as well, though, um, so this is going to sound like I'm trying to diminish the job Eddie Howe's done, which I'm not. But I do think those players were never that bad. Yeah, you know, there was... Steve Bruce whatever, definitely helps. Whatever you think of Steve Bruce as a manager, and possibly by, by that stage, he'd run his course. And you know, his ideas maybe were slightly behind the, 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 what the leading teams were doing. And the general mood of um, misery and frustration in the latter days of Mike Ashley, I think they dragged down... Play- so look at Joe Ellington, who clearly was a good player in Germany. Maybe they slightly overspent on him. Comes in, nobody quite knows what his position is. He's been bounced about in the team. It's a team that's lacking confidence. He becomes a sort of emblem of the the sort of waste and the, the decline and the poverty of ideas of the Ashley era. And actually, he's a perfectly good footballer. And yeah, Howe has probably got him playing slightly above his level, but I don't think his level was ever quite as low as it looked. In you know, in, in the years before uh, how it got there, and you look at something like uh, Jamal Lassell, who I think has always been a pretty good footballer. Um, so yeah, I mean Jacob Murphy again, sort of a talented kid who who just found it difficult to 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 to, to play in that environment. So I think I think the the, the two sides both work there. Yeah, the list, the list endless. Like Cher was completely cast aside, and Eddie Howe pulled pulled him back in, and now he's a massive part of a a really strong back four. That's probably one of the best back fours when everyone's fit in in the Premier League. Even even Joe Linton, yeah, yeah, I, I take take on board completely what what you're saying, Jonathan. Eddie Howe's put him in a position where he never really, no one had ever put him there before. He never played there, but mm. Eddie Howe identified some strengths within him that he thought. No, no, like, absolutely, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it, like it's just it's just good management all around. The fact that he can improve the players that. That, that are there he's got their, their fitness up so they're capable of of doing what, what what he wants them to do and he's also improved the players that, that, that they've brought in as well because they haven't really brought in some people who you'd say oh he's the he's the finished article com- coming into the club they've brought in players with room to grow i would say well i, I think they're in a and maybe 
maybe we'll see this more of the next year or two. I, I wonder just how it's not so much how deep their pockets are, it's how deep FFP allows their pockets yeah. to be. I wonder if there are constraints there. I wonder as well, and obviously I say this is somebody from the area, so I feel I am allowed to say this, but I think there's definitely a category of player who looks at the Northeast and doesn't see the incredible landscape and the great history and the tremendous people um, just thinks that's a long way from Europe and would rather move to London and, and yeah, maybe Manchester Liverpool because of the greater recent history and by recent history I mean the last 85 years um, 95 years uh, has a, an appeal that Newcastle doesn't I, I wonder if there is still a slight sort of um, Reluctance on the part of some players to move to Newcastle. Just to finish, then this this little section. Well, little section. We've done the whole podcast on it so far. This section <laughs> on Eddie Howard. What, what was your top five? Because then we'll put the, all the top fives on social media and get the get the the pundits out there on X to vote. Oh, that sounds like an absolute disaster. Um, yeah. can, can can you mute me out the conversation? Don't link me in the conversation. That sounds just like it's not, my, not up to me. Not up to me. Uh, Pep first, Klopp second. How third, Poch fourth, Arteta fifth. Okay, so mine was uh, Pep, Klopp, Emery, How, Arteta. That was me. Uh, Guardiola, Klopp, Frank, Poch, How. That's interesting. I'm, I'm, I don't, don't begrudge you putting putting Thomas Frank in there at all, and you've justified what, why you're doing it. I just wasn't expecting anyone to, to to put him in the top five Premier League managers this this morning whilst we're recording. So, well, well and the thing is, you may well break the internet. What what's happened there is I will not get the votes because Brentford don't have as many fans. You've gone for the easy options, the popular <laughs> options, cheap, cheap, cheap. <laughs> and I hope you're proud of yourself. I mean, I'll, you, some, you Spurs could, fans are going to love uh, Poch being yeah. on mine and not Ange. It's just the body of work isn't as big in the prem, in the in the Premier League. So, uh, to be fair, by that notion, Jonathan putting Thomas Frank in there is completely fair because his body of work with Brentford is is huge. But on, on Eddie Howe transformed Bournemouth, and I think he has transformed Newcastle as well. You, are, they're not necessarily where they are now with with, with any other manager, and I, I just think the job that he's done is, is absolutely staggering. People thought that Newcastle might lose in Butman getting the sales in that would be a problem the fact they hadn't really upgraded their center halves while well, their center half like pecking order in in the in the summer Jonathan but actually the sales has, has done really well I know they lost against Dortmund it wasn't like they were completely blown away but by them and the, you know the injuries are absolutely killing them at the moment but the, the oh, sales have been good the, the, the injuries are ridiculous I mean Murphy Byrne Barnes Anderson Botman Isaac Mankio Target Tonali, obviously not injured but not available. Um, I think uh, Gimmaresh is suspended for this weekend and Callum Wilson's a doubt for this weekend. So that's, I'm asked, how many is that? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. That's a, that's a full team. That's 11. I mean, there's no goalkeeper. So no. you wouldn't you wouldn't play that team. Uh, not even in the Carabao <laughs> Cup away at Old Trafford. Um, you probably could play that team and still win at the Carabao well, Cup at Old Trafford. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, but the Selva's always a good player. Like you know, I I, and I also think yeah, this is this comes back to a point that I feel I make a lot. I think a lot, you know, there's not a big difference between most of the players in most of the Premier League clubs. They're all quite a similar standard. What makes them into an eight out of ten player rather than a six out of ten player is the environment and whether they feel comfortable and confident, whether they've got a system that suits them, and that's the hardest thing in football to get right. 
you could have a brilliant player and put him in a brilliant team and it just doesn't click for whatever reason. Um, yeah, we all we all thought Lukaku would work at Chelsea. It seemed logical. It seemed to work. They were yeah, going to win the league. And, and it just went horribly wrong for for whatever reason. The clash of personalities with Tuchel or tactically didn't quite gel. Um and and that's that's really hard when that's the hardest thing of recruitment. It's not identifying talent is quite easy. Identifying the right talent is the really hard bit. And I think the cell is is just one of those players who um found things maybe a little bit difficult towards the end of uh the Steve Bruce reign. Um but I don't think he was ever a bad player and now he's got his chance again. Do I think he's as good as Botman? Probably not, but he, he's doing a very, very good job in Botman's absence. So he deserves credit for that. And it's it's great for Newcastle they got the extra option. Yeah, we're starting to see a few players as well that, that we haven't seen much of this season. Lewis Hall, he was taken off at halftime, but he started against Dortmund. And Livermento was, was Newcastle's best performer, so they might well find a way to get him in the team against Bournemouth. So, so let's talk Bournemouth, George. We, we spoke about them a few weeks ago. I think we all kind of agreed that they need to give the manager a, a little bit more time. Has that win against Burnley bided him a, a bit of time? He'll probably be forgiven for what happens against Newcastle and the game after is Sheffield United. That'll probably be quite decisive, like like the Burnley game. But has that victory t- taken the pressure off a little bit? Well, that's a stupid question, isn't it? Obviously, it has. But how much time <laughs> has that given him? Yeah, I- I'm not sure there was necessarily <clears throat> overwhelming pressure on him before that. I mean, obviously, there was pressure in terms of their need to get results, but it didn't feel to me like he was imminently going to get sacked. And, and I think over the last few weeks um, in the, the the betting for the next manager to get sacked. It was always Heckenbottom, who was odds-on favourite, rather than um, Iriola ever ever taking that spot. So it definitely helps. I mean, I, I think it's worth pointing out that Bournemouth's fixtures have been really tough. Like, they've already had City away. They've had uh, Liverpool away. They've had Brighton away. They've also played Spurs and, and Arsenal at home. And they picked up zero points from those five games. But they are, you know, five teams who we anticipate will be vying for, for the very least for the top four. Um, so, you know, the, the fixtures haven't been particularly easy down towards the bottom end. They've only played one team at home, currently occupying the bottom five spots, and that was Bernie who they beat. So th- there are easier games to come. This clearly isn't one of them, um, but I'm sure the way that, that Bournemouth work, um, and, and I think given, even though they're embroiled in it right now, given the issues with other teams down towards the bottom, I'd be very surprised if we saw them um, not give Iriola a chance to to implement. And, and also, we know, you know, f- from when he came in, that his playing philosophy is very different to what we saw last season from Bournemouth. Uh, and I'm sure he'll be given time to try and implement that as well. So, um, yeah, a, a really important result. Great also to see Alex Scott um, winning a lot of plaudits for Bournemouth, the player they brought in from Bristol City in the summer. He is mega. I don't think he'll be at Bournemouth for long. Uh, I think they'll be able to to keep... Uh, the big fish at bay, but he's a player to watch out for. I'm sure we'll continue to to improve as he plays more minutes. Yeah, everyone's saying at the moment, George, there's only four teams that are going to be involved in the in the relegation dogfight. I, I disagree with that slightly because there is always a few teams that go on runs and and, and fall down. I do think the teams in the bottom the bottom four are capable of, of picking results up at, at some point during the season. But what are odds checker? What what are the odds saying about that? How are they reflecting? Yeah, I mean the, the odds kind of reflect the idea that there, there are clearly four teams most likely to go down. Uh, Sheffield United are, are one to six, so six on for relegation, Bournemouth one to four. So, you know, you can see there that both of those sides given little chance of staying up. Burnley are five to six, so just 
favourites to to go down um, with Bournemouth thirteen to eight. So those two kind of the the two sides of of the coin, and then Everton are the next shortest at four to one, uh, which gives them kind of a twenty percent chance of of relegation. With Fulham seventeen to two, Wolves ten to one. So you know, ten to one shots um, win. So I, you know, I wouldn't be ruling it out but there's no you know as you say at this moment it's very much the case of those four look the, the poorest teams are likely to go down but we've seen plenty of teams in the past go on, on long losing runs and and those teams i just mentioned are definitely susceptible to that and i also think you know luton's performances at home gives them a massive chance like even though they haven't picked up loads of points at home they're yet to be beaten by more than a goal they came very close to beating liverpool last time out um and if and their XG numbers are really good at home. And it feels to me like if they can maintain that level of of performance at Kenilworth Road, then they're going to pick up plenty of points, which will make it difficult for the likes of Bournemouth to, um, to, to ease themselves clear. I guess the reason Everton are, do you say, fifth favourites to go down? Yeah, yeah. Is, is the possibility of them having points deducted? And we just don't know how that's going to go. I mean, I think in terms of how well they're playing now, they, they, they should be okay. But obviously, if they suddenly get deducted 8, 10, 12 points... That's a very different equation. And I think the other thing you'd say, of the bottom four sides, they don't seem to have played each other very much. I think the only game between any of the bottom four sides has been Luton v Burnley. I think that... Is that true? I mean, Bournemouth still have to play Sheffield United and Luton and Fulham in the first half of the season. They haven't haven't played any of them yet. Sheffield United definitely haven't played any of the other members of the bottom four. So that means Luton haven't played at least two of them. Uh, yeah, so Burnley's the only one they have played. So there's there's points that they have to get there, which will make that gap look less. I think Fulham are in a bit of bother. I think they could easily mm. slide. Um, there's been at least two Saudi attempts to entice Marco Silva. I do wonder, particularly if, if say, money isn't available in January, how how willing he'll be to, to stick with Fulham, given Mitrovic has gone if Polina goes in January as well, I think Fulham could easily get get dragged in. Uh, but I, I I also think that there would have been more pressure on Iriola had it not been that the three promoted sides are all doing so badly. Um, but the oddity is, I mean, I, I know, I know um, there's all these rumours going around Heckingbottom, but Hannah, what's the point of sacking him? Yeah, we haven't had a. Uh, have we, we haven't had a managerial departure yet, have we? In no, the nothing. The season? No. I think it's entirely possible we get to Christmas without one because I don't, I, you know, I don't think it's pressure on Areola. I think Burnley are, are so invested in company that they're unlikely to make a change in the near future. Uh, Rob Edwards is clearly doing as well as is, is realistically possible at um, at Luton. So where where do you see that? The, where, where is the axe likely to fall? And it's, it's not at the mm-hmm. bottom. Um, maybe Ten Hag, but yeah, you know, with with the Jim Ratcliffe thing, presumably they wait for Jim Ratcliffe to turn up unless things go really bad and really toxic. So after you know a record number of sackings last season, I think we may end up having very very few this. I was thinking about this the other day. I think there's never been a time in the Premier League when so many clubs have kind of got their ideal manager. If, if 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 that makes sense, I think if you look look through through the board, you've just mentioned the, the teams at the bottom. If you look at some of the teams at the top as well, you know Man City, Liverpool, Villa, Brighton, Spurs, Arsenal, all pretty much got the the perfect manager. You could argue that Poch will turn into being the the perfect manager for Chelsea as well with 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 all their young players. So I think you are right. I think one with the question mark over him at the moment in the whole entirety of the league for me 
is is Ten Hag. Marco Silva may well up and leave, but again, he's the probably the perfect manager for Fulham at the moment with with the job he's done. I just think if you look throughout, there's so many ideal managers in jobs at clubs at the moment. But the, the issue with that, and, and the reason why we see so many sackings now, is that that there's just no nuance given to managerial performance. Like these days, you know, you could get a league of, of twenty, the Premier League. All twenty managers could probably do a nine out of ten job, and three of them would probably still get sacked because naturally three teams are going to get relegated. So even though right now it might feel that way in November, I can promise you that by the nature of the league, meaning that some of those teams who feel like they should be pushing for Europe are going to end up being in 14th or 15th, maybe by no fault of the manager themselves, just by the nature of the fact that it's a strong division this season, would end up meaning that the, that the even if their stock is high now, the daggers will be out from fans and their job will come under threat. So, yeah, it feels like that, that at the moment. But you look through the Premier League table now, you know, um, whether it's Gary O'Neill at Wolves, who's obviously you know made a, a popular start, but if they don't pull away from the relegation zone, will there be questions asked of him? Um, Moyes at West Ham, who last season we saw, you know, if it wasn't for Europe, he probably would have gone. There are definitely a couple in there. Steve where, Cooper. Cooper, of course, yeah. I mean, there, there are definitely some in that bracket where if, if they're still in, in in the bottom half of that table and, and not away from relegation, then there's no denying that their, their job will come under threat. You mentioned Steve Cooper. I was at the city ground on, on Sunday, obviously watching Villa get beat by by Forest, and that's one of the best home atmospheres I've mm. ever ever been in, in in the away end. And that all their songs are geared around how much they love Stevie Cooper. So Forest would be, you know, I think that the fans would be in uproar if they got got rid of Steve Cooper. If you had they, to, they definitely would be now. And also, in fairness, their fans they stuck by him last season as well when they did. Yeah, they love him. Well. They love him. I don't. I, mean, I don't. It's not a fantasy, though, is it? It's no. an owner issue. No, it's no, no that's issue. Good. Yeah, that that is true. If you had to pick the next manager to 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 go now, who who would you pick? And we'll revisit this when the first manager goes. Ten Hag, George. So Ten Hag in say February. Okay, that's so you think that'll be the next one. Will be February. Well, I mean, to be sacked. I mean, I, th- I think as I say, I think Marcus Silva could be lured away by Saudi Arabia. Okay, let's just go. Let's keep it to sackings then. You think you think Ten Hag? Yeah. Ten Hag, so January, ten, February. Ten, Depending ten when the the um, takeover happens. Okay, interesting. George? Ten Hag is the six to four favourite uh, to go. I I I think Heckenbottom still looks like a bet to me at five to two. Um, just because there's been all you know, it's a proper no smoke without fire pick. It's too many rumours over the last few weeks that he's on the brink. Okay, I'll mix I'll, I'll mix it up and th- I'm going to throw David Moyes in there just because I think if West Ham do go twenty five to one. Really, I just think if they go on a run of of, of losing games, I think patience will, will will be thin. Although I think who West Ham then going to go and get? Like it's, that's the other thing. I don't mm. know. Can't really think of it. No one's leaping out at me as a other than Potter, the, the, the manager that's a, that's around at the moment and, and and available for work. I'll just be different. And I'll Hansi throw Flick hasn't there. got a job, has he? No, can't see him coming. I'm, to not, I'm not saying he's a natural fit for West Ham, but he, he's no. the obvious sort of big name, sort of floating around. Yeah, interesting. Interest. I mean, if Moyes is the next one at 25 to 1 and I haven't put a bet on it, I'm going to be absolutely devastated. But yeah, in- you know what to do. Yeah, interesting conversation. Go on, Hodge Checker. <laughs> yeah, go on, That wasn't the plan to talk about that, but we've kind of just gone into it naturally. So Easy segue. Good chat. Nice little, little, little segue there. Right, then let's get our score predictions for Bournemouth against Newcastle. George, I'll let you go first. Um, I have got... Bournemouth one, Newcastle one. I think Newcastle are tired. On one. 
Yeah, they've obviously got players missing. I've still gone for two nil to Newcastle. I think they'll have a lot, a lot to get just enough. Sorry, to, to get over the line. If Callum Wilson doesn't play, I actually really like Anthony Gordon as as, as a centre forward. I think his movement as a as a number nine is absolutely brilliant. Jonathan, I've split the difference. Gone two one Newcastle. Two one. So yeah, some different pre- predictions there. Wasn't a good week for me last week in the predictions league. Only three points. That's absolutely pathetic, and I do feel like I'm bottling it a little bit at the <laughs> moment. Jonathan, and Sam got five, and George you're on, on the rise with seven last week. So five. five. Just to be clear, this is Sam. Like I've never got as low as five. Though. What is going on? Absolutely rubbish, Sam. Isn't it? So, yeah, so you're 67 points, third at the moment, George. Jonathan and Sam, you've got 77 points on the graphic. It's just Jonathan's head, so you're taking the, taking the credit for last, last week's five. And I'm top with 91, but I only got three points last week, which is absolute. So, so I'm on seven, 77, so I'm 14 yeah. behind. If I had a clear two or three weeks of just me picking, you'd, you'd be in trouble, son. Why do you, why do you just Sam. message Sam your picks and, and insist? Yeah, pull rank. I, 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 I don't want to undermine the young man. <laughs> I didn't hear. Did he have two weeks in a row at one point as as well? Yeah. So I think you might have you might have missed two weeks in a row of your your prediction. I mean, you're a prediction stalwart. You've been you've been. Yeah, I was in, I was in Romania, so I I, uh, I couldn't do it. Okay, whereabouts in Romania? Uh, I flew into Cluj and then would drove down drove down drove down to to Bucharest. So I've been Cluj, to Cluj, Cluj Hunadwara, uh, Sibiu, Sigishwara. Brashov, Bucharest. Wow, um, nice. It's a great rooftop bar in Cluj. Uh, I was only in Cluj for one night, and we um, trying to think where we where we ate that night. Uh, ate really well. Transylvanian yeah. food is excellent. Good. Really, you can mm. recommend it. Super, super work from George, who tells us strictly we need to be done in an hour. Then, what's your favourite bar in Transylvania? Yeah. <laughs> the German, if we're asking Jonathan questions, I was scrolling Twitter or X the other day and saw some great acting of you eating a kebab, Jonathan. Mm. It, it wasn't. It was a falafel. Falafel. Right? Sorry, a falafel, not a kebab. Yeah, uh, I was. I was in Sweden for a weekend uh, doing a piece on because uh, the Swedish league's the only one of the top thirty-two in Europe uh, not to have VAR. And they've got quite a sort of vibrant fan culture, so it was a bit of a bit of a throwback. And obviously, because they don't have the money to compete in terms of transfers, they're sort of very much pitching the league as this is old school. Um, this is where yeah, where where it's all about fans. And it was it was nice to go. It was quite enjoyable. I did I did quite. I don't really understand ultras. I've never really gotten, despite twenty years of trying. Um, you're not part of the Sunderland ultras. No, I, I just don't. I, what I don't get. And, and like this is true of Sweden, Germany, Italy, all, all all these countries have a big sort of ultra scene. That the noise is, you know, the noise is great, but it doesn't change during the game. They just do their ninety-minute routine, and there's very little sort of reaction to what's going on, on the pitch. And you sort of feel, well, are they? They're not really here for the football, are they? They they could be doing that like a bandstand in a park. You know, it's the, the football's totally incidental to it, I did, I, which I find very odd. But anyway. I'll be going to Villa Altmar tonight, and I imagine the ultras will be there. Yeah, very very choreographed. It is lively, but I I agree that it that, that it's quite. I, just, I don't mind that for like you know ten minutes around kickoff. But like, though, it's it's like yeah, there's a terrible challenge in the twenty seventh minute, and nobody reacts to it because they're halfway through a song. Choreographed, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Jonathan's part of the falafel ultras. In, in oh, that was a great falafel. It was. I hope I came across in the video. It was, no, I really enjoyed that. Across, it didn't come across genuine at all in, in, in that video. Like you'd been paid to to, to say it or got a gun to your head to say how much you <laughs> enjoyed the falafel. Well, I, I was. I'm not a I, I, man. 
I was literally being no, paid no. to do the video, but the falafel was genuinely good. Okay, maybe we can play Nom- nominative determinism falafel. I think I'm going to call you on the on the on the trivia now. Have you have you come okay. up with the other? Oh, oh, uh, I forgot about I, it. I, I do have them both. Yeah, go, go on, on then, Jonathan. Kudachini uh, and Taibi. Kudachini. Yeah, yeah, it's all well and after Jonathan said because it could. I was trying to say this, I was trying to say both in the same time, but I missed the second one, so we'll just no. move on. It's like, like my mum reckons she's really good at, at quizzes when I'm saying <laughs> when I was younger, she'd be watching the, the the weakest link, and she'd like start saying it after the contestant had, had answered, like she knew what she was saying, and then she'd look at me and just go. <laughs> she got it right, but she was just copying what, what, what they were saying. Right, we've gone on a lot of tangents when George has got to go. Not good for, mm. for, the, for the podcast. Let's look at Chelsea v Manchester City then. And Jonathan, Doku is top of the who scored form rankings. Absolutely stupendous week last week involved in most of the goals. Just seems to be allowed to play Doku because I'm sure if he, you know, if he was doing anything he, he shouldn't be, Pep would, wouldn't be picking him, but he just looks like he's really enjoying his football and he's kind of a, a free spirit on the wing for Sita. Yeah, I mean, you always wonder with Guardiola whether there's wheels within wheels um, because Doku is not playing in the way that we've really seen any winger play for uh, for Guardiola's side before. Maybe bits of early Mahrez, but you know, we, we know that Guardiola is, is obsessed by control and Doku does not give you control. I mean, nope. he's a, I, 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 you know, the way he can dribble on either foot seemingly equally well, I think is remarkable. Must be incredibly difficult to defend against. He's very good at doing that sort of stop and start again. Um, so you think of, uh, was it the first goal against, one of the goals against Brighton anyway, uh, where uh, Pascal Gross, he, he does, just stops and no, it was it was Igor, so he stops and goes again. And so he, you know, he can go either way, he can stop and go. You know, as a dribbler, he's brilliant. His end product at the minute clearly is brilliant. Um, but I do wonder why he's not going through the same process of uh reprogramming that Jack Grealish went through. Um, and I, I what I mean, we'll we'll find out in time, I guess, whether Guardiola is sort of letting him play. Um, and sort of building his confidence up and sort of thinking, yeah, this is fine against a Bournemouth. Um, I think it's interesting Grealish started against Manchester United, that the, the more serious game, they play the more conservative player. Um, I think the stats show pretty clearly that uh, when opponents have attacked City, it tends to have been down the City left to Doku's side. Um, and Doku, actually, his tackling stats are pretty, pretty good, but I, I still think because he loses the ball quite a lot, it does... Render whoever the left fullback, whether it's Ake or whether it's Gradiol, it, it does leave them a bit vulnerable. It can be isolated. So, yeah, if, if it was a, if it was anybody other than City, we wouldn't be talking about this. We'd be just saying Docker is what brilliant, what an amazing start. Because it's Guardiola, you sort of think, <clears throat> um, yeah, that doesn't conform to the sort of slightly counterintuitive way that we know Guardiola likes to operate. How is that going to play out against Liverpool in a couple of weeks? Maybe even against Chelsea on Sunday. Um, how is it going to play out in the quarterfinal, semi-final of the Champions League? Um, but it, as I say, it may be that he's just letting Doku play at the minute because he, he thinks they'll win the games anyway. It's a good way of saying to Grealish, not that keen on the way you celebrate the treble. Maybe you want to rein that in a bit. Maybe don't think your place is secure. And it may be that Grealish comes back in as the season goes on and Doku does undergo that process of, of, of reprogramming. Well, in terms of dribbles per 90, if we look at City players under under Pep, Doku is far and away top with, with 4.9 dribbles per 90. The the player underneath him in second is Leroy Sana, 
in 17-18, So yeah, this is this is not. Well, and, and look, look at what happened to Sane. Didn't it? Wasn't it that he wanted to go to Bayern? I think there's a reason why he wanted to go though, which was he felt he was being curtailed. In hamstrung. There, there, there was a sort of friction, definitely, between Sane and Guardiola. Yeah, it's a massive drop, though, isn't it? Four point nine down to down to three point two, and Doko Doko has made a sensational start to the to the Premier League life. Is there also an, an argument here that <clears throat> with, with Kevin De Bruyne out, you know, they are clearly two very very different footballers, um, albeit both pretty effective. But you know, De Bruyne's role within that City team is is basically the, he's the only one who doesn't have to play by the constraints of, of what Pep wants, both in and out of possession. So with De Bruyne not in there, is there room for another player just to have a bit of a free roll, effectively? Like even if he does play on the left hand side and all shifts around, like if it's if it's Bernardo playing where where De Bruyne normally plays on the right hand side of the three, then you've got a player there who's way more disciplined in what he does than than De Bruyne was. So therefore, you open up the the kind of mechanism for there to be someone who's allowed to express themselves. Like it does seem weird how normally it takes time for these players who come in at City to understand what's asked of them. Like if you look at the player that Grealish is now compared to what what he was at Villa, like they're they're very very different players. But Doku, even at a young age, has come in and basically just been told, you know, go and do what you like. Also, I guess is Pep just so so happy with his defence now, Jonathan? That the system he's got, where you know, quite a lot of the time he'll play th- he'll play three or four centre backs, so auxiliary defenders really as as defenders. Is it just that he's now so happy with his defence that they can afford to have a player doing the things that Doku just let off the leash? I, I definitely, I think. There's, there's a truth to the fact that the the fullbacks are not as attacking as they were, certainly not on the left. Yeah, Cancelo uh, used to play there, didn't they? Yeah, um, well, and Walker still does get forward on the right. So yeah, it may be that the, the yeah because there's less need to sort of integrate with the attacking fullback, and your Grealish was constantly having to integrate with Cancelo. And I think what he found really difficult about that is that Grealish, when he dribbles, is quite right-footed. And so he likes to come inside, and Cancelo also goes inside. So Cancelo was yeah, often was in Grealish's space, and that that creates a slight um, yeah, clogging effect. Uh, whereas if you don't have the, the left back overlapping or underlapping, then, then you have got a more solid platform, and maybe the player on that side does does have a slightly freer role. Um, so yeah, I mean, it, it's yeah, Guardiola's got such a sort of um, uh, sense of the balance of his team. Um, that I think both that and, and the, the point George makes about about De Bruyne may may have may influence his thinking on that. Um, but again, I think I think we'll see the the true measure of it in in well. I think the next couple of weeks could be really interesting. Yeah, let's look at Chelsea then. Unbelievable game on Monday night at Tottenham Hotspur. I'm not sure how good Chelsea actually were, but they they, they won four one. They've only lost one game in seven matches now. Now George is Poch starting to get a handle on what his best team is, etc. At, at Chelsea, maybe. I mean, it sounds weird to say it, but I almost came away from that game less convinced that Chelsea are going to come good than I was before. Um, I think there was well, a weird. I'm exactly the same. And I, even though Jackson scored a hat trick, I came away from that game less convinced that he's a good player. I actually thought he was all right in the first half. Like he, I thought he linked play pretty well. Um, you've got to, you know, there are, there are always going to be two types of strikers. I said it before on the show. Like he's got the kind of Cavalli knack of being in the right place at the right time. And then even if you can't finish, you're probably going to, going to score a few goals just by, by measure of being able to, to have that pace in behind and the movement in the box. Um, he's just got to stop leaning backwards whenever he shoots. Um, it's, uh, yeah, I mean, it was a bizarre, I couldn't sleep after that game. I was like buzzing off the back of it. It was just, it was like watching a, a horror film and then trying to go to bed afterwards. Um, it was mad mayhem. Um, 
is he getting to grips with it? Possibly. It was a weird, I, I do kind of feel in a way for Chelsea in that second half, like when you're used to playing against 10 men, you're, you're used to playing against a low block and it's all about keeping the ball, moving the ball, trying to tire out the, the opposition whilst also looking for the holes. It's not very often that you, you play against nine men who employ a ridiculously high line and it seems to take them about 25 minutes to work out. You've basically got to advance the ball right up against that line and then try and play through your striker who has a complete um, pace advantage over over the, the, the... And when they did that, they scored three very quickly. Um, we'll see. I, I still think that Chelsea will be okay. I, I think probably getting three goals into Jackson is going to be a good thing and Kunku's still to come back, albeit... You know, maybe the confidence that Jackson built up was extinguished when he smashed one over the bar in the 98th minute to, to try and make it four, uh, try and get his fourth. So he's getting there with his with his what team he wants. You know, Reese James's return is obviously important. It still feels like the Enzo Caicedo Gallagher trio is is a little bit clunky. You know, Enzo's a, a brilliant passer, but there there doesn't it feels like they need someone who's just got that, that slightly more you know creative spark who can create in tight spaces rather than Enzo whose long passing is great Caicedo knits things together and then Gallagher who's just a bit of a battering ram hmm. yeah I've, I've got to say I've been impressed with Gallagher in, in recent weeks also been impressed with with Cole Palmer Jonathan and it is of course the Cole Palmer derby the, this weekend it already feels like he's become quite quite important I think when everyone in the game felt like they were, they were, they were losing their head at one point Palmer was that one bit of calm on the pitch I felt yeah, and I think that's been true all season, actually. I think uh, since he came into the team, um, what well, sort of five or six games into the season, he he's the one who just seems to be looking around going, why is this mad? Just stop doing mad things. Just sort of, you know, if you've got the ball eight yards in front, out in front of the goal, just kick it in the goal. It's, it's not that hard. The fact he grabbed that penalty, he, he seems to have, you know, a, a sort of a ruthlessness that is otherwise lacking at Chelsea. And I agree. I think on Monday... You know what? What I thought was what I what I thought that Postecoglou was doing was playing that high line to mess with Chelsea's heads. That he'd looked at their forward line and thought that's not a forward line that can think on its feet. It's short on confidence, and we'll mess with them. And then as soon as they start to work out, you know, have a runner from deep, you know, two or three passes hit the runner, which they finally did. Sort of 70, 70 minutes, seventy five minutes. Uh, I mean, that Kukurea chance was the first time I actually did that. Hmm. Um, I thought he'd then drop back to something more orthodox, and then he didn't. And I thought, because at the time, I think this is brilliant. Uh, he's he's realised psychologically, he's he's sort of breaking them psychologically. And it was a bit like, and I don't know anything about rugby, so what I'm about to say may not make sense. But do you remember when England played Italy, I think it was 2017, when Italy refused to challenge any ball on the ground, so a ruck was never formed, there was never an offside line, which meant that Italy could go and challenge the fullback. And people who follow rugby say that you know, this is known as a sort of little loophole in the laws. But actually, it's really easy to... It takes you, should take you five minutes to work out how you're going to play through it. And England, because he was so regimented under, under Eddie Jones, couldn't do it till half-time. And then they suddenly score a load of tries quickly in the second half because Eddie Jones has told them what to do. And it felt a bit like that. The team going, oh, this should be really easy, but oh, God, what do we do? It doesn't make any sense. There's all this space, but oh, we can't use it somehow. And when they, when they do get a chance, their heads are so scrambled, they can't... They can't actually hit the target anyway. Um, and, and so um, I can't remember what, how I started this point. <coughs> but uh, I, I think what I was building to say is this Chelsea are not a team yet who are capable of thinking on their feet. And that that is a concern. Oh, no, yeah. Whereas apart from Cole Palmer, who just seems to be like, what are you doing? Just, you know, this is obvious. Just do it. 
Um, and I, I think he could end up, because of that, I, I think he could end up being a really valuable player for Chelsea this season because he's the one whose head seems to be in the right place. Yeah, with that in mind, George, who do Archdeca think is going to win the Six Nations next year? <laughs> <laughs> um, right. I'm, I'm not going to do that with the response. Yeah, <laughs> we, we talk, we're talking about Cole Palmer, but I've got the combined 11 here in front of me. And Cole Palmer is not in the in the combined 11. It's, it's do we think he'll um, to... get in the England squad today? No. Too soon. I mean, there's a lot of talent in those areas. Yeah, I think that'd be something spectacular mm. to get in. What's uh, what's Sterling to to go to the Euros? Well, I guess I guess Madison is um, possibly Madison injured. Me. Sterling is Sterling's eleven to ten, so basically a coin yeah. toss. Mm. I can't see any new faces being in this squad this close to, to the top. Well, it's 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 just to, they need somebody to replace Madison. So maybe maybe Sterling's form has been good enough this season to get him back in. Although he mm. you know, he hasn't. He hasn't been picked for a squad since the World Cup, and you do wonder whether that, like going home after the burglary, whether that sort of has affected his standing. Yeah, well, let's look at the, the combined it, eleven. Then yeah. it's, it's an old-fashioned four-four to for who scored. We've got Edison in goal, a back four of Kyle Walker, Thiago Silva, Akanji, and Gavardiol. Then Foden, Rodri, Gallagher, and Doku is the midfield four, and it's Alvarez and Haaland up top. Right then, predictions for this one. Then Chelsea against Manchester City. I'll go first, and I've gone big. I've gone for Chelsea nil, Manchester City three. Jonathan, uh, one nil to City, one nil to City, and George. 4-1 to City. 4-1 to City. That's a, that's a bold prediction Thank as well. You. Well, let's look at the rest of our predictions now, and we'll start with the Wolves v Tottenham game, which is the first game this weekend. George? Yeah, I've got uh, Wolves 1 and a depleted Spurs 1. I was very close to going for that score, but I've gone for 2-1 to Tottenham. Jonathan? I did go for 1-1. One, 1-1 one. One, one as well. Arsenal, Burnley, Jonathan? 2-0, uh, Arsenal. 2-0. I've gone for 4-1 to Arsenal. George? Uh, 3-1 Arsenal. 3-1 Arsenal. Palace v Everton? 1-0. Uh, 1-0. All. All. I've gone for 2-1 to Everton. Jonathan? I've gone for 1-0 to Palace. 1-0 to Palace. Wow. Different predictions this week. Manchester United against Luton. Jonathan? 2-0 to United. I've gone 2-1 United. I'm not sure on that though, George. Yeah, I hate it. 1-0 United. 1-0 to United. We've already done Bournemouth against Newcastle. West Ham against Forest, George? Uh, 2-1 West Ham. 2-1 West Ham. I've gone 1-1. 1-0 West Ham. Liverpool, Brentford, Jonathan? Uh, 2-1 Liverpool. 3-1 Liverpool here. George? 2-0 Liverpool. 2-0 Liverpool. Villa v Fulham, George? Uh, 1-0 Villa. 1-0 Villa. I've gone for 3-1 to Villa. Cannot keep a clean sheet. Jonathan? 1-0 Villa. Brighton against Sheffield United, Jonathan. 2-0 to Brighton. 2-0 to Brighton. 3-0 to Brighton here, George. Also 3-0. 3-0 to Brighton. Well, a few different predictions there from, from the three of us. I might see the table change ever so slightly. What's the what's everyone's best picks? Yeah, so we've got our best picks this week in association with Odds Checker. I'll go first. I picked an away win and I've gone with one of my predictions. I've gone for Everton to win at Palace, which I'm imagining might boost the odds considerably. I've gone for Villa to beat Fulham. You'll be happy to hear, Dan. Yeah, rightly so. Jonathan? That was what I was about to say, but instead I'll say Arsenal to beat Burnley. And Arsenal to beat Burnley. We came very close to winning last week. It was just Dan's pick of Tottenham that let us down for our treble. This time around, it is a 5.02 to 1. So 5 to 1 uh, treble, that's best price with BetMGM and BetUK. On odds checker, the lowest price is 4.13 to 1. So you're getting nearly a whole point better off by checking out the best price for Yaka. 
Interesting. We've run out of time to do our team in focus this week. It was going to be Sheffield United, but George has, has got to run. So we'll, we'll do that next week. We'll have a little look at Sheffield United. We spent a long time, obviously, on the on the Eddie Howe subject at the start of, uh, of the show, which was an interesting chat, in my opinion. Thanks to everyone who's going to tune in and watch. We really, really appreciate it. If you are watching and you're not subscribed, could you please do that and get your post notifications on as well so you know when the next Edge of the Box is coming. Leave us a comment as well with your thoughts on what we've said in the show. Where does Eddie Howe rank? in the top five Premier League managers. Give the video a like as well if you're feeling generous. International breaks, so we won't be back next week, but if you do get those post notifications on, as I say, you'll know when the next show is coming out. There's other content going up on the YouTube channel as well through the weeks. Enjoy the Premier League football this weekend and tell all your friends and family about the podcast.